Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always on this Monday. Uh, Eric, we're, we're coming off a Monday in which no duck football was played. Now, that also does not mean that there was a ton of stuff that happened with Oregon football over the weekend. There was certainly a lot of intrigue, I think, in the state of Alabama. There was a lot of intrigue in the state of Minnesota, uh, also uh, in the state of Oklahoma, and also in the state of Texas because there were four football games going on that had, you know, playoff implications for Oregon. Like, look, we can look ahead. We have the ability to look ahead uh, to football games. And right now Oregon's got three remaining games and we'll get to this week's game against Arizona later on the show. But uh, there were four games out there that we were monitoring and seeing what could happen. And I think, I think overall it was a good weekend for Oregon football, good weekend for Pac-12 football because, uh, of the results that we saw, the door continues to open even more uh, for the Pac-12 to get a, a representative into the college football playoff. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think the one thing that's surprising looking at these original polls, though, is Alabama and Penn State lose, and that's that's great for Oregon, obviously. And obviously, one of LSU and Alabama was going to lose, so Oregon knew there'd be some movement there. But I don't know if we expected Minnesota to upset Penn State like that, and and good for the Golden Gophers. Like I can't. Well, when's the last time Minnesota's been even remotely relevant in college football? Right. I can't even. I can't think of the last time that I. I like, put it this way. I can't think of the last like well-known Minnesota football player. Like maybe Marion Barber. I think was a running back there like 15 years ago. I mean, it's been a while since they've been relevant at all in the sport. So cool, good for them to get up there. Good for them to knock out Penn State. Uh, that helps Oregon uh, a little bit. But like the fact that Alabama, at least in these original polls is not behind Oregon is sort of stunning, but also not all that surprising. Um, but certainly it provides, like, we should mention these polls don't even really matter in the grand scheme of things. We'll, we'll learn a lot more on Tuesday with how the committee perceives things with Alabama and with, I guess, Minnesota now becomes, at 9-0, and becomes a team Oregon actually has to kind of worry about. Like, Penn State is no longer quite on that same level. They've, they've dropped now, you know, out of the top eight, in you know at least in the AP poll and out of the top ten in the coaches poll, so they're kind of now out of out of sight, out of mind for Oregon. But now Minnesota becomes another team to worry about. And now Oklahoma still is still going to be right there, or Alabama is still going to be right there. And I'll be again, I'll be really curious to see what the committee does with Alabama and, and Oregon. Um, same record, obviously Alabama's loss to get against LSU is is considerably, you know, it's a better team than, than Auburn. I think we both agree on that. But what do they do with Alabama? They don't necessarily have a better resume in terms of the wins they have than Oregon. Uh, you know, they have a game against Auburn coming up. They're no longer going to be in the SEC championship game. Like, Alabama becomes, I think, kind of that ultimate, well, what is the committee going to do with them? Because if the committee still right. thinks they're above Oregon, Oregon's in a really hard spot right now because I don't think there's anything going on. There's nothing ahead for Alabama, we should say, unless Alabama drops that game to Auburn. 
um, that that really is going to impact the resume, at, at, you know, adversely from here on out. So if, if 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 the perception is that Alabama is still in the top four or still above Oregon, I don't know if Oregon can necessarily jump them. I mean, maybe a win over Utah does that, but I don't know. I think that's the one that kind of that that one makes you a little bit nervous because look, Alabama played a really bad half of football against LSU. Was down thirty points, was it thirty or twenty at half? Twenty, right? At half, uh, and it looked like they might get you know they might get blown out. They end up losing by five, and at least in the original polls, they didn't drop very much. So I think that's the one that you keep an eye on. And then Minnesota, you have to be aware now that Minnesota has a better victory than Oregon. Minnesota yeah. has that win over Penn State. That possibly could be a thing where if Minnesota wins out. Maybe they jumped them, but ultimately, they, I think they'd play Ohio State in the championship game anyway, so uh, one of those teams is going to lose. But there's a lot of stuff that took place, a lot of uncertainty, and again, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how, how the committee kind of weighs all of the action that happened over the weekend, because again, Oregon didn't play, but a, a number of really imperative, uh, I guess, results took place, but it'll be just interesting to see how they're weighed you know, by the national, you know, by the committee, I guess, on Tuesday. Now, Oregon does get a trump card because if Utah and Oregon both continue to win, you know, Oregon will have and Oregon wins that game, Oregon will have a top 5, top 10 win over right. an opponent the last weekend of the regular season which instantly becomes their best win of the year uh, by a long margin and it would be better than a lot of teams out there in terms of of what they win. So I I think it would not surprise me if Oregon does not move at all uh, in the top 25 college football poll, but it, it, and they say what seven? Um, right. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if that happens. And if that does happen on Tuesday, I wouldn't freak out if I'm Oregon football fan because look, like Oregon's gonna have this trump card that very few other teams are going to have. Uh, after championship Saturday, you know, winning a win over a, a, another top 10 quality opponent. Um, maybe, maybe Ohio State gets that, but I don't think anyone's arguing that Oregon should be in over Ohio State. No one is. Um, LSU, if, if they go on and beat, and they beat Georgia, you know, that's going to be a trump card, but no one's arguing Oregon over LSU. Now, if LSU loses to Georgia, in the conference championship game, that hurts Oregon tremendously. And, uh, you do not want that because that opens the door for LSU to get in as a one loss team, uh, that didn't win their conference. Um, and then Georgia obviously would get in because they only have one loss, presumably. They do have to play Auburn this week, which is a big game, you know, but Oregon would have a better, had to have a better win over, uh, Alabama and Oregon would have a bigger, better win. Uh, over a team like Oklahoma from, from the Big 12. Um, Clemson would be an interesting one to see what happens there. Uh, but I also think there's, do you subscribe to the idea that there's Alabama fatigue? Like, we've seen Alabama in the college football playoff time and time again, and it's been warranted. It's, they deserve to be in there in previous years, but this year they haven't played anybody. They haven't beaten anybody, and if they, if if their best win is Auburn, who could be nine and three, is that enough to warrant a team that didn't even win their division to to get into the college football playoff over a one loss Pac twelve team who won their conference or a one loss Big Twelve team who won their conference? It, 
I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that's going to factor into this. I'll speak for myself. I have some Alabama fatigue. I, I guess I'm just kind of tired of seeing the same teams in the championship game every year. Uh, and, and, and like you said, it's been warranted. They've had incredibly good teams. There's no, no one's arguing the merit of, of how good their teams have been. But yeah, it does get kind of tiring when it's been basically Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia competing for the national championship with, and I guess Ohio State's been in, and Ohio, Oklahoma have been in the discussion, but it's really been those three programs for the last four or five years, it feels like, every season competing for championships. And you're right, in terms of just the resume, Alabama doesn't have a whole lot to stand upon right now. Like, its best yeah. win right now is over Texas A&M. Like we said, they're, they'll finish up the regular season um, at Auburn, and that would be, you know, especially if Auburn continues to win, uh, that would be a notable victory for, for Alabama. And, and I guess if you're looking at Oregon versus Alabama head-to-head, you could say, well, Alabama, Alabama beat Auburn, Oregon lost to Auburn, you know, advantage, Crimson Tide. Um, at the same time, I, I agree with what you were saying a second ago about how it, it feels improper to put a one-loss team that didn't win its division into the college playoff over a one-loss team that won its conference. And we should say, I believe if they were to win out, Oregon would be, you know, 10-0 and in against Pac-12 teams. First the only time, time First time, I think, I think, I think, I think it would be the first time, right? I think that a, 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 a Power 5 team would have 10 yep. wins uh, over its conference. So that would be something you'd think would be hard to overlook. So, you know, I, I think, again, I, I still think Oregon wins out. They get some style points because, frankly, like, let's, let's be honest, the, the rest of the teams, you know, we should mention that the teams that they're playing down the stretch here have not looked good at all the last month. Oregon State's been the most impressive of Arizona, Arizona State, and Oregon State, and they just looked – I mean, their offense didn't even show up to the field, you know, against Washington over the weekend. That was a kind of a bizarre game in terms of it was not – I thought it was going to be a shootout. Definitely didn't show up that way, but that's been the most impressive team. I mean, Arizona and Arizona State have been pretty bad, you know, and I think Oregon has a chance here uh, to, to make, have some style points, to win some yep. – Blowout games. I mean, they win these last three games in dominant fashion, and that would be now four games to finish the regular season in dominant fashion when you include the USC win uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, that's some style points going into it. They go out and maybe they can handle Utah pretty easily. I don't necessarily think it's going to be an easy game, but maybe they do. Uh, it, it would be hard for me to ignore a Pac-12 team that, again, first team to win 10 conference games. They win their last five games in, in blowout fashion, let's say, and they beat Utah uh, who's a, let's say Utah also wins out and that conference championship is, is two one-loss teams, there's your marquee victory. I would think that would supersede Alabama. It doesn't necessarily mean that they would get in over everybody else, but I, I would certainly say that they deserve that, uh, that opportunity. Again, I think there's, I think there's going to be some resistance nationally to putting a Pac-12 team in there, at least, at least on the East Coast. Yes, over some there will be. There, there's going to be resistance. Like you could already kind of feel it building up, but, I think if Oregon takes her, takes care of business, it's going to be hard to leave them out. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's going to be – maybe Oregon has more obstacles. I, I know I've seen some of the national stuff where it, 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 the feeling is that Oregon has to have a lot of things break their way. But I, I, I still think Oregon wins out. They beat Utah. I think they'll be in. And this is where this is where the difficulty is, is the, the college football committee is supposed to operate with what have you done right now right. up to this point. And – and for Oregon's standard, look, like, their, their best case right now is they lost on a last play against Auburn. Like, one of their strongest cases that they lost. And, you know, that they don't have, you know, 
right now. Like people, like it's not going to surprise me one bit on Tuesday when the release of the rankings come out and Oregon gets hammered a little bit. Look, I don't trust Oregon. They're, they've got one loss. They played one good game uh, against a good, a good quality opponent in Auburn and they lost and, and yada, yada, yada. And that's going to, that's going to be said, but that the committee has to operate under what have we seen to date? They don't project. They don't come out and say, well, we think these teams are, are going to be the best teams down the road. And so that's where for Oregon fan, you just gotta be patient. You just have to have this Oregon team continue to win football games and then continue to set themselves up for a huge game against Utah. And which basically, like you said earlier on this week, uh, on the podcast that it's almost like a win and you're in type scenario. If Oregon can get to 11 and one, win the North without a blemish on their schedule and regular season play and then beat a top six Utah team, that almost becomes a win and you're in type mentality for Oregon, uh, for the college football playoff. Now, real, real quick before we move on, um, if you're looking at what to track this weekend, the most important game you want, uh, to watch is going to be Oregon versus Arizona at home, obviously. Secondly though, it's Oklahoma who's ranked number nine in the country. They take on undefeated Baylor Bears, 430 kickoff on ABC. That's going to be a big football game because it, Baylor's undefeated. Uh, if they go undefeated, they need to be in the college football playoff. And so Oregon is a team that needs Baylor to lose. Uh, and then also you want to watch this weekend a game in the afternoon that's Minnesota on the road at number 18, Iowa, 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox at Pacific time. Those are the, probably the two most important games uh, that you will be watching outside of Oregon this weekend. And then obviously the, the third one is going to be uh, when Georgia – I think is it this weekend, right? Uh, is it? Is it this weekend? Georgia-Auburn, is that your Yeah. Saying? Uh, no, it's next week. Oh, yeah, it's this week. It's Georgia-Auburn. That's another one. That one's at 1230. Uh, and then there's also Clemson. Their last chance to probably lose this this year is a 1230 kickoff game against Wake Forest. Uh, I know Clemson has to play against South Carolina as well, but I'm not going to put a lot of stock in that one. So um, those are the games that you're going to want to watch aside from uh, Oregon taking on Arizona. Now, Let's move to Oregon at Arizona. Uh, that kickoff is set for a 7:30 kickoff. Uh, Oregon is a 24-point favorite in in this football game. Uh, are you buying that, Eric? Are you are you do you see this game playing out where Oregon wins by 24 points? I wouldn't be surprised at all if Oregon won by 24 or more points because in part because of what I said earlier of just. I think Oregon recognizes that this is going to be a bit of a like a fashion contest. They're going to have to show up and, and win some of these games kind of impressively. Uh, you know, I, I think so. That's in play, but at the same time, 24 points just always feels it's excessive a in, a, in a conference game. It's a ton of points. I mean, that's. I mean, it, as good as Oregon has been this year, they haven't had a ton of games they've won by that margin, right? You think Colorado, they won by 42. They just did it against USC, but other than that, in terms of conference games, the rest of those games they didn't. They didn't win by 24 or more points. So you're asking Oregon to have one of its best games of the season. The way Arizona has looked, though, like I'm not going to be at all shocked if if Oregon does cover that favorite. Coming up, Oregon's coming off a bye week. We should mention Arizona also coming off a bye week. So I don't want to say that nullifies that advantage, but it certainly is worth noting that both teams have that that ability to 
have an extra week to prepare, extra week to get rested and, and, and ready for this football game. But uh, it, 24 is a lot of points. But like again, I, I think I think Oregon can do it against this particular football team with the with the Wildcats have looked of late. I mean, they've been since starting out two and zero. They've been really disappointing. You know, haven't been all that competitive in a lot of these games. Uh, coming into Autzen with a losing streak, I, I could see Oregon doing it. At the same time, if I'm a gambler, which as we've established many times, I'm not because I'm, <laughs> I'm absolutely terrible at it, uh, I would stay away, which probably means you should bet the heck out of 24 points, but I'll let Matt give you any uh, any uh, gambling advice because any gambling advice I'm giving you is, is probably not super reliable. But like, my, I'll say, I, I think I posted on Twitter, when I saw the, the line originally, I I was really surprised that it was 24 points. I was thinking it might be like 17 to 18, maybe, maybe maybe even 20, but 24 just felt like a huge number. But again, we'll see. I, I wouldn't be, but I wouldn't be, again, I wouldn't be at all shocked if Oregon covers that. It just feels like a big number to start with. I think there's a lot of questions of just who does Oregon play at quarterback? I mean, who does Oregon face at quarterback? Excuse me. We know who Oregon's playing at quarterback. It's yeah, just, I, I hope that's not a question mark. Yeah, I hope that's not <laughs> It's It's who does Oregon face uh, at quarterback for Arizona because yeah. Khalil Tate, like you said, he's just not lived up to expectations. I think that's on the coaching, to be honest with you. They're yeah. they're trying to throw a, a, a square peg into a round hole, and it's just not – it's not fit, fitting at all. And – Khalil Tate is a dual threat quarterback and they're trying to make him a pro style quarterback and it's just ugly to watch. I feel bad for Tate. Um, Grant Gunnell, a freshman, however, has come in and, you know, he's thrown for over a thousand yards this season. He's thrown nine touchdowns to just one interception, uh, this season. Uh, and most notably, you know, his best game, his best two games have come against Pac-12 opponents that granted not the best competition. Uh, his best one was against UCLA when they won 20 to 17. He had a touchdown. He threw for 352 yards. And then against Oregon State, their most recent game, they lost 56 to 38, but he was 19 of 29 for 269, two touchdowns, no interceptions. You know, quarterback rating of 166.2. So, uh, Gunnell looks like the guy. And it, it wouldn't surprise me if Khalil Tate comes out, maybe gets a couple series. They see how things are going. And if it starts to trend in the different direction, uh, they, they throw out Grant Gunnell and they go with the young guys. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, I, I, I think that's probably the biggest thing where who is Oregon going to play at, at quarterback, right? I think that's, yeah, that's a huge thing. And, and again, I, this is an Arizona team that that has a lot of has some talent. Like it's not a team that lacks talent. And again, we've talked about it last week about just Khalil Tate and how much of how weird it's been seeing him his you know stock skyrocket as a sophomore and has I mean really basically fallen off a cliff ever since uh, with the coaching change. Uh, I agree, and, and honestly, it seems it seems like Arizona's best bet has been Gunno in terms of the way Kevin Sutherland wants his offense to work. As weird as that sounds, with as explosive and as much of a game changer as Tate has has looked at times in his career. It has been weird that that's the development. And maybe I mean I'm guessing that they're using this bye week to really figure themselves out at quarterback. I mean that's been an issue for Arizona. We, again, they started out winning two conference games. They've lost four in a row. Uh, I think part of it is they don't really know what their identity is offensively. And with the quarterback confusion, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Maybe they come out and they settle on a quarterback. And maybe it is Grant Gunnell. Maybe they just go, Hey, Khalil, you know it's it's been. 
thank you so much for your service. It's been a great run, but we're going with the younger guy. We're trying to build off of that. He gives us a better chance to win right away. And, and, and maybe that's why the game is a little bit more competitive because maybe the, the team kind of rallies behind the young guy who, who, you know, does some things differently and, and provides them a different look. And, and maybe that's the way they were competitive down the stretch here. I don't know. And maybe we see just a revamped, you know, more exciting Arizona offense because we should say, like, if you're Oregon preparing for this Arizona offense, you're kind of preparing for two different offenses, one where Khalil Tate's running it and one where Grant Gunnell's running it. And so um, we'll be interested this week speaking with uh, Oregon coaches and, and especially on the defensive side with how difficult has it been kind of trying to figure out what they're going to do at quarterback. Is that something they've spent a lot of time on? Does it feel like the offense is – Markedly different. It feels like it from an outsider's perspective. Does it feel like it from, uh, you, you know, the team trying to prepare for them perspective? So I, I agree. I think that is a huge, a huge point of uh, a focal point, a huge point that'll be, I'm sure, talked about a lot throughout this week about, hey, what is Arizona doing at quarterback? I'm, I'm sure Oregon is preparing for both of them, but I, I guess I'll just be curious to see kind of what they have to say about that because it is kind of an odd deal to be this deep into a season and to be facing a team which has a legitimate quarterback kind of controversy. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll continue the podcast, Thoughts and Audibles. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash audio. Visit IXL.com slash audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Now, there was no duck football over the weekend uh, being played, and that kind of set the stage for a weekend for Oregon basketball both the men and the women had games. Um, the men played a counting game. They've actually played two now. Uh, the women have played an exhibition game, and this is where we're going to start with because they played Team USA. They played our country's national team as they go on this collegiate tour to get ready for 
uh, I, I believe a tournament later on this month or later on this year, and then also continue to get themselves ready for the Olympics in Tokyo in, in 2020. Um, Eric, you were at this game. Oregon goes into this hoping to just be within 20 when clock at zero. And somehow, some way, they emerged with a 93-86 victory over Team USA, the first time a collegiate team has beaten uh, our national team in 20 years. What was just the environment like at Matinette Arena? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, I think there's 11,500 fans for that basketball game, an exhibition game. And that, and that right there is a good place to start. And obviously we'll talk about what was an incredible outcome. I mean, shocking, stunning outcome with, with the college team beating a team with – it's not like this is like a warm-up Team USA either. I mean, they've got some some Hall of Fame caliber players on that team. But, yeah, the environment was incredible. And I, I think it was one of those things where for the first three quarters it was kind of like, oh, this is fun seeing them be pretty competitive with – with, you know, Diane Taurasi and Sue Bird and Simone Augustus and Sylvia Fowles, all these big name players that if you're, you know, a women's basketball fan, you're very much familiar with. You've followed their careers for a while. Oh, it's pretty fun that Oregon's kind of staying with it. And oh, wow, Sabrina's playing great. And then it gets to the middle point of the fourth quarter and Oregon's suddenly up 11 points and you're going like, oh, wow, they're going to, are they going to win this game? Like, is, is this like, cause I, I, I genuinely felt like, oh, at some point here, Team USA is just going to turn it Fair on. Yeah. yeah, Team USA is going to turn it on, and suddenly they'll go on like a 15-2 to two run, and, and they'll win, and it'll be, you know, and it'll be kind of the expected result. But, you know, that never really happened. And Oregon hit a bunch of big shots. Sabrina Ionescu hit a, a three-point shot from basically almost half court, and the clock was running down. She was forced to kind of let it go, and it was probably, I don't know, 35 feet from the basket, and she drills it. And that kind of, I think that sort of got the momentum going of like, man, maybe they can actually win this in the next – Possession, uh, Satu Sabali hits a three, and they're up 11 points. And suddenly, yeah, it really starts feeling like, okay, yeah, they might be able to do this. And at, at that point, Team USA didn't have, like, all their starters in, all their top players in, but they subbed him in right at that point, I think, kind of going for, okay, well, we got to get this together. <laughs> we can't lose. We can't lose this game. We're not supposed to lose this game. Like, we're, it's okay if it's competitive, but like, we can't lose this game. And, and Oregon took the best shot, I think, from, from the American national team and was still able to hold on and win by seven points. And, and Team USA never even got it close enough where, honestly, at the last few minutes, it was kind of like, okay, maybe Team USA will do it, but they never really got it close enough where I was even going, like, Oregon's not going to win. Like, it was kind of almost not in doubt until, you know, the last three or four minutes. It really wasn't even in doubt because Oregon had such an advantage, and Team USA just couldn't hit the shots. So, uh, again, stunning. Uh, it doesn't count on Oregon's record, but... You, you'd be. I'm, I'm sure there are a ton of teams nationally going like, Crap. oh yeah, <laughs> this team's pretty darn good. Uh, they're not supposed to win this game uh, because again, you look up and down the roster for Team USA, and it is like Hall of Famer, All Star player, whatever you what you know, however you want to describe it, up and down the roster. And for Oregon to compete at that level, like it just shows how how talented they are. Um, you you could, if you want, maybe question the effort at times by Team USA. I thought uh, in that third quarter especially, Sabrina just kind of did whatever she wanted. I don't know if, if that was just Yeah, she scored 25 a, points in that quarter. Yeah, she scored Yeah, she scored 25 points from like the last two minutes of the second quarter through the third quarter. She had 20 points in the third, uh, and, and a lot of them were just like, she just kind of did whatever she wanted. Like, oh, I'll shoot this three. Okay, I'll make that. Okay, well, I'll just drive it with my left hand. I'll put up a scoop shot. Oh, do I need to shoot up, put up a reverse here? I'll do that. I mean, she was basically unstoppable for that quarter. 
And so part of me at the time was kind of going like, oh, maybe they're just kind of giving her her moment, or maybe it's just the fact that she belongs on the stage. And I'm really, I really think it's the latter. Uh, you know, I wrote it in a story for the site yesterday. Uh, I wouldn't be totally shocked if, you know, a year from now, Sabrina's playing with some of these players, you know, on the Olympic team. I, I mean, that may be too much to ask or too much to say, but like, she is, cert- she certainly didn't show anything on Saturday that would make you go, oh, she's not capable of playing at this level. And I, I think the same could be said for obviously Satu Sabli, who's not an American, but she had 25 points. She was crucial down the stretch, finishing tough shots, hitting big threes. Uh, Ruthie Hebert was, Really, really strong in the paint, especially in that first half. She finished with 18 points, 11 rebounds. Um, that big three looked like three players that could absolutely play on the court with those players, without question. And we should mention, in terms of like the, the WNBA draft stock, those three players are players that are being projected to go in the first round whenever they do enter. So that is the type of talent they possess. But it was very, very clear that, that Oregon wasn't entirely outmanned or outgunned, which, again... Wasn't what we were expecting going in. You're right. Oregon, you know, players, yes, you know, Sabrina said after the game that they were just hoping to be within 20. And I think Kelly Graves said on Wednesday uh, that they, they were, it would be delusional for them to expect to come out with a win. Well, something, you know, some, they were wrong on that, I guess. I mean, I, I, it's just, it was kind of perplexing the way it played out to a certain extent. But again, I think you just come away going, this is, it solidifies how talented this team is, how dominant they are, and really the fact that they're, Goals and aspirations of winning a national championship uh, have a ton of legs, and they should, and they're rightfully in that consider you know rightfully the favorites to do that uh, this season. The men they also played two games. They played Fresno State to open the season. They won that one. Uh, I believe they won by 14 points in that basketball game. And then they played another Mountain West team that was picked fourth this time uh, in Boise State. Uh, and this was a game in which Francis Sakura was not playing. Uh, if you did not know, he was struck by a vehicle uh, in a car, some kind of car accident crossing the street of Franklin. Um, Okoro is okay. He did go to the hospital, did get checked out, but everything came back fine. He's just incredibly sore, like any would be, be after getting hit by a vehicle. Yeah. Um, his status moving forward, all Dan Alban says is that, look, all we can say is day-to-day. Like That's best-case scenario. Uh, when he comes back, who knows right now? Uh, without a Coro, uh, you know, I was like, okay, me, this is going to be interesting. You know, Boise State's a, a team in which they don't necessarily have a traditional center, so the loss of a Coro isn't going to hurt tra- in, in that regard. But it's a, a it's a starter, one of your mo- your second most experienced player. You're playing a solid team in Boise State, and it didn't matter. It it, it, it was like. Uh, it was an, a very, very impressive performance by Oregon. They win this game 106-75. Uh, and the story of the game, though, is individually. Anthony Mathis, grad transfer senior from New Mexico, played his prep ball at Westland High School with Peyton Pritchard up in the Portland, Oregon area. He was known to be a three-point specialist. And his first game against Fresno State, he didn't make any. Oregon just made one. They shot 7% from the, from the field uh, on three-point shots as a team. Against Boise, Oregon made 68% of their threes, 13 of 19, and Mathis was a flamethrower. He made, he made a, a Matthew Knight Arena record nine threes. He had a career high of nine threes, and he also had a career high 30 points. Um Peyton Pritchard was steady as always. He had 19 points, six rebounds, seven assists, three steals. 
Uh, just one turnover in 33 minutes. We also got a really good showing from Shakur Justin, as another grad transfer from from uh, UNLV. He scored 16 points, had nine assists, career high for him as well. One steal. He had three turnovers. Uh, and then you got some you got some good production, I think, from Addison Patterson, a true freshman uh, off the bench. He scored 17. Chandler Lawson, another true freshman for Oregon, he scored eight. The big thing for Oregon is all nine players that played in all eight players, excuse me, that played in this game, they all scored. Uh, the freshmen for Oregon all kind of contributed in some way or another uh, in, in this game, so that's good. Uh, and you walk out of that thinking, wow. I understand Boise, they were not maybe as good as expected to be. They're still a respectable program. It's still going to be a quality win when the season is over with. And players talked about chemistry, right, of being better, being more connected earlier in the year than they were last year. Uh, that showed Saturday night against Boise State in a way that they moved the ball, they defended well, they played hard. Um, Oregon is clicking right now, it's, and they're going into a game now against Memphis where – they're going to need that type of effort to have a chance to win this this basketball game because, dear God, Memphis is very, 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 very good. Um, we'll have a podcast on the site later this week uh, with our Memphis site kind of previewing the game. But, Eric, just in general, I think there's a lot of intrigue with, with Oregon versus Memphis because, A, it's two top 15 teams. Memphis is 13th in the AP poll. Oregon is 14th in the AP poll. Uh, you've got NBA talent, most notably um, the guy at center for Memphis who could or could not be playing in James Wiseman because of all the off-the-field stuff. Yeah, uh, that was one of the more bizarre, I think it was Friday, where he yeah. was announced ineligible by the NCAA, and like 30 minutes later, a, like a circuit court down in Tennessee says... He, he, was, in, he was in court, too, for it. So it's, it's just like... That, so it was, he's ineligible, now he's eligible, maybe he should be ineligible, should he play? And, and, and so that's kind of where we're at, and, and it is going to be very interesting to see what shakes out with all of that. Uh, it sounds like it's over Penny Hardaway, the head coach, helping James Wiseman's family move to Memphis a couple of years ago, which doesn't sound great, but I guess it depends on how you interpret the whole booster thing and what Penny Hardaway was at the time. Is he a friend of James Wiseman's? Was he... A Memphis booster, that's going to be something for someone else to decide. I think for Oregon, it's going to be how do you defend him if Francis Okoro can't play, right? I mean, that's Okoro is really your only traditional, you know, big body post player. With I mean, Justin's quite a bit shorter. Uh, Matt, what, what would what, how do you think Oregon would approach that? I mean, I saw C.J. Walker started. He's on the leaner side. He had foul issues against Boise State. Chandler Lawson played pretty well, but like. That would be a humongous obstacle, I would think, trying to defend James Wiseman if he does play, which we should mention also remains up in the air. Yeah, I, I look at it as if Wiseman plays in this game and Okoro does not, Oregon is going to have a huge challenge. Yeah. Uh, and I think the the best way to guard him is to do the best that you can in terms of ball denial. Don't don't try and – if, if – Try and prevent him from getting the ball, and if he does get it, he needs to be out of the key because if he can if he can establish paint supremacy and, and get down there and kind of drop an anchor and just live in the paint, Oregon's going to have no chance because they don't have the size to, to compete with with Wiseman. And then it becomes, can you make it a track meet, and can can you just turn this game into a ninety five ninety six victory type of a performance? Uh, 
um, you know, up and down. And that's also going to be how Oregon's going to beat him. Make, you know, make the game fast. Cause Wiseman is an athletic freak, but he's also still seven foot one and seven footers, they cannot run as long and as, and as far and as often as six, eight guys, six, seven guys and six, six guys and below. Like they, they just can't, they physically can't do it. Even if Wiseman's in great shape, which he is, he's not, you know, the seven foot one, 320 pound center that, you know, we traditionally growing up saw. He, he's an athletic dude, but he still can't run like the guards can. And so if Oregon, if Oregon doesn't have a Coro, I, I think it's ball denial. Don't let him touch it in the paint, you know, double team him. And then on top of that, push the tempo, speed the game up, make it go up and down the court and make him run. Up and down, you know, and by the time he gets down to the off defensive end, he's got to run back down to the offensive end. By the time he gets down there, he's got to run back. You know, that's going to be your best defense against him is, you know, pushing the tempo of this game and really forcing him to, you know, to run up and down the length of the court and get tired and have to come out. And then it's anyone's game. Um, I, I also am really excited to see Peyton Pritchard, um, in this basketball game because I look at it as Memphis Memphis has kind of like a, a Fab Five feel to it in in the sense that they start five freshmen five freshmen across the board that that's that is their starting lineup um, and so I, I think there's something to be said that even though Oregon doesn't necessarily have a ton of returning experience they've got some older players Pritchard's a senior Mathis is a senior Shakur Jusen's a senior. Crystal Duarte is a junior. You know, they've got the older player. And so how does that factor in into an early season game like this? Because, look, both teams are going to be fired up. They are going to be amped up to play in this game. And, you know, Memphis hasn't played anybody yet. And it's also a thing to note that Oregon has played two top 100 level, you know, type of opponents in Ken Palm rankings. Whereas Memphis has played South Carolina State and University of Illinois Chicago. They have played nobodies their first two games and they haven't been challenged. They won their first game 97-64. They won their second game 92-46. to It'll be interesting to see how Memphis reacts to playing a team that has comparable talent. And I think that's always a tough adjustment, especially when, like I said, you, you trot out a lineup of all freshmen. Now that being said, this group is amazing in terms of talent. They've got an insane amount of talent. And going in, if Oregon doesn't have a Coro and they can't prevent Wiseman from getting in the paint, they're not going to win. It's just it's going to be the reality of the beast. And it, it it could get ugly too. You know, Memphis has that capability, but it comes back to what I said of just how does Memphis react of, of playing a team with comparable talent. And we should also say this is a game where if Wiseman does play, the fact that Enfali Dante is not available. It's too bad. It's too bad. Just because it would have been really fun to see those guys play down low together against each other. And it would have been, I think, a good test for Enfali Dante. I'm sure NBA scouts are wishing that James Wiseman and Enfali Dante could get that opportunity because you'd see two comparable young talents in the post going head to head. Unfortunately, we obviously don't get that and it's possible. That neither of them play in this game, which, uh, you know, when this was set up, when Dante committed back in the summer, we kind of pointed to this to being like the game that we were really excited to kind of see these guys tango. Um, having neither of them on the court would be, I think, a bummer. And if you're a, 
a fan of just college basketball and you bought your tickets and you're in, you know, in the, in the Portland area, you're probably going like, seriously, am I not going to get to see the future number one overall draft pick? I, you know, right. if Wiseman's filled ineligible, that would also be, uh, I think a disappointment for, for just for the casual fan going to this game. All right. Let's wrap this show up with Oregon versus Arizona. Um, early on your thoughts on just what decides this football game. It, I think if Oregon's defense plays at the capability that we know they're capable of, you know, especially the way they play in that second half against USC, or maybe even you could say the second three quarter, you know, last three quarters of that game against USC, then Oregon's going to win this game. If Arizona's able to move the ball, because we should say they still have they have a, have a very good offense, they have a terrible defense, but they have, they have, a, they have a very good offense. If, if Arizona's able to score some points, I could see this game being one that's. I don't. I don't see Oregon losing, but I could still. I could see this being one that where maybe that twenty-four point number is far too high in the sense of being a pretty close game. If this Oregon defense, you know, allows four or five touchdowns, which I don't necessarily expect to happen, but that that would be where I'd get worried is if there's some explosive plays. Maybe if, if you know JJ Taylor has has had Oregon's number the last couple of years. I think he ran for almost two hundred yards against them last year. Uh, that would be where. I would be potentially concerned, but I, I don't have a – honestly, I'm going into this week feeling pretty decent about where things are at with the way Arizona's looked with the fact that Oregon knows what's on the line, with the fact that Oregon and Arizona last year was an Arizona blowout. I think Oregon is going to be extremely motivated. I doubt that's something that they've forgotten. That was – you know, last year that was a very prideful group, and they went and just got their butts kicked by a team that wasn't very good in Arizona. I think they want to atone for that. So that's kind of where I'm at. Do you have anything that stands out on the same kind of ilk? Yeah, I I, I think this team is going to be dialed in because of the bye week, because of last season, how that played out for Oregon. Um, for me, it, it goes back to a lot of what Oregon did against USC and, and Keaton Slovis, another true freshman quarterback. Yeah. If Arizona decides to throw out Grant Gunnell, and even if they do throw out Khalil Tate, I think this game is going to be decided by Oregon's defense. Can Because, like you said, Arizona's defense is terrible. Oregon should be able to put up points. But their offense is respectable. And if Oregon can kind of create confusion, create havoc, get to the quarterback, speed that internal clock up, I think there's going to be some opportunities for this defense to, to make some plays, create some turnovers, in, and then thus create some short fields for Oregon to try and score some some touchdowns. Uh, so for me, it's it's going to be points off turnovers. How many turnovers can you create? And can you go after whether it's Khalil Tate at quarterback or whether it's Grant Gunnell at quarterback? Can you get into their head and can you speed up their internal clock? Because if you can do that and you can get pressure on him from different angles, from different sides, I think this game is going to go a very similar way in which Oregon-USC did in the second half in that Whoever is at quarterback is going to be all over the place because he doesn't know where Oregon's coming from and he doesn't have the ability to, to process that quick enough uh, and, and make the plays necessary to keep them in the football game. And I think one last thought for me is Oregon has done such a great job all season of protecting the football, of limiting turnovers. I think that's going to be a key because when you play a team that you're very much over, that you're clearly better, that you overmatch. You just can't make silly mistakes. So if they, I could see this game being, the only way I see it getting fairly competitive is if Oregon just kind of shoots itself in the foot and they have three or four turnovers and it's a really sloppy football game, which can happen at, you know, Pac-12 after dark. We've seen that before, but 
Uh, that would be another thing I would just keep an eye on is if it, Oregon makes a bunch of self-inflicted wounds, they maybe Herbert has a couple picks, maybe they fumble the ball a little bit, and they give Arizona opportunities to score easily. That's where I could see this one getting a little bit more closely because, I, I again, I think Oregon is clearly the more talented team. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame. Eric Scopel is with me as always. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.